This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Go to our foundational scripture in, in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 20. The book of 2 Kings, chapter 20. And just starting right here with verse 1. It says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And we, we explained that, that um, in this teaching, we're talking about dealing with death, setting your house in order. And we're digging into, well, what, is that, what does that really mean? What is, what is the order that God has for my house? We mentioned that the, uh, the prophet Isaiah, when he's talking to the king, he's not giving the king new information. The king should fully expect that one day he's going to die. But what this prophecy is doing is, is, is speaking to the immediacy, the urgency of the, of the work that the king needs to do. And also it speaks to that, that the king's house was not in order. When God tells you to set your house in order, when God is telling this ministry to set our house in order, our house in order, it's because our houses are not in order. And also it's because of the immediacy, the urgency. Listen, we said before that the time that we're in, the season that we're in, is coming to a close. There's something next that God has for us. And we cannot afford to have missed the lessons from this season going into the next season. Our children cannot afford for us to have missed the lessons in this season going into the next season. I, I'm, I'm so uh, encouraged by the, uh, the young people that did the, uh, the speeches and, and the presentations for Resurrection Sunday. And I just started thinking about, you know, in the future and, and, and what God may, you know, do with this ministry in times to come. And, and those people that you're seeing you know, as, as, as the youth, those people that you're seeing in children's ministry now, you know what? Some of those people are going to be carrying your casket. Some of those people are going to be singing in your services. I dare say that, that, that some of those youths may actually be in the podium on the day of remembrance to you. They may be reading the Old Testament scripture. They may be reading the New Testament scripture. They may have words of remembrance about you in your life. Do not miss, do not miss out on what God is doing in this season. The time is, time is almost up. He is presenting the word, presenting the word, presenting the word. And you hear at 10 o'clock, are you prepared? Now is the time to be ready. Now is the time to be prepared. Now is the time to be able to take the actions that are needed. And so we talked that about... An example in scripture with the life of, of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And we mentioned that there are very few people in, in scripture where, where um, the Lord allows us to see the, the span of their life. From when they were born all the way into their death. And it's because he's trying to show us something about the process, about the progression, about, about this process of sanctification. And, and we talked about Jacob's life in terms of the places where he was. We, we, we said that he, he ended up in a place of peace where he was able to, to gather up his legs. 
and to, and to go on with the Lord, that he, that he instructed his children in the way that they should go. But, but he didn't all, it wasn't always like that his entire life. We mentioned that, that Jacob, he was in a place where, where God was speaking to him and trying to give him instruction and to remind him of the promises that were given to his grandfather and that were given to his father. But, but Jacob found himself in a conditional place where he said, if, if you bless me, then I'll serve you. And too often our, our children and some of us, we find ourselves in this conditional place that, that Lord, if you give me the job, Lord, if you, if, if you give me the wife, if you give me the husband, if, if, you, if you prosper my business, Lord, if you bring my child back to me, then I'll serve you. Then I'll serve you. He was in that, that conditional place. And we found that, that in trying to, trying to bargain with God, that God, God is unchanging. God is unchanging. And so, next, we saw that Jacob, he was in the place where all that he had tried to do had come to nothing. The road that he was on ended up leading to nowhere. He was in that broken place. Where all that, that, that he had sought and endeavored to accomplish, it had come to nothing. And he was forced to, to go back. First, he told God that if you bring me back with, with riches, and if you bring me back in peace, then I'll serve you. But God just has a way that he made him, Jacob had to come running back. He had to come running back. There was no place else for him to go. He was in that broken place. He was in that broken place where he realized that his devices and his, and his aims were, were not sufficient. And then we see how finally Jacob gets to the place. When he's finished moralizing, when he's, when he's finished rationalizing his acts. He got to the place where he finally, his sin finally became sinful to him. And it wasn't that he hadn't heard from God, but he was mixing the word of God with his own carnal desires. But finally he got to the place where he saw his sin on his children. And we said last week that there, that there, is, there is no greater revelation when you see your children walking around wearing your sin. Wearing your sin. You say, I know exactly what that is. That's, 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 that's granddaddy. That's, that's, that's daddy. That's, that's me. And it's, it's in my children. And when he, when he saw that, then he got to the place where he, where he was like, you know what? It doesn't even matter. Everything that I have, these, these, these gods that you have, the earrings that you have, take them off. We're going back to the place where we can hear from God. You know, it's not enough to be in the land of promise. You need to be in the place where you can hear from God. It's not enough to be around the people. It's not enough to, to, to say the words. But your heart hasn't changed. You need to be in that place where you're hearing from God, where you put everything else aside. You're saying, God, you're my source. And so that's the place of satisfaction. That's the place of contentment. And so we mentioned that, that, these, are, that these are places, these are way stations. These are stops along the way. But what we're going to get in today is, is how do I get 
from one place to the next. Brother Preacher, how do I get from where I'm, where I'm, I'm compromising with God? How do I get from my rationalizations? How do I get from my own devices? How do I get to this place of peace with God? How do I lead my family so that they know the way to the place of peace? In earlier teachings, we talked about the origins of sin and death. We said that, that, that sin, that sin is the result of man's disobedience to God's instruction. And we're going to dig into instruction. You know, one of the things about instruction, instructions are not the same as life experiences. Instructions are not the same as, as what you saw someone else do and they managed to get it to work out for them. You know, too often we look at, at how our parents did it. We look at how our cousin nims and our auntie nims, about how they did it, about their experiences. We look, about, we look at how we got away with it last time. And we say, well, well, perhaps this is the way. Instructions are not the same as experiences. Instructions come from the manufacturer. Instructions come from the creator. And they speak to how this is supposed to function optimally. You know what? You may have gotten it to work with some bubble gum and coat hangers, but that's not the way, that's not the way God intended. You may have, es- you may have escaped with your children out of wedlock. You may have managed to, to escape your drug addiction, but it's not the way that God intended. Just because you made it out, just because you made it through, listen, don't build an altar. Don't build an altar to your past mistakes. Just because you had to serve time, don't build an altar. Don't build an altar to your past experiences. That is not God's instruction for your family. That is not how you will be a blessing to the earth. And so instructions, they come from the manufacturer. They come from the one who has purposed and who has provided. When, when, when operating within instructions, the thing works to its optimal utility. It doesn't just get by. It doesn't just make do. But it actually does what the Creator intended for it. We say that God, He is the source of life. God is the source of life. And as believers, we have victory over death through Jesus Christ. God, He is the source of life. And as believers, we have victory over death through Jesus Christ. This, 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 this teaching series is not to get you all melancholy. It's not to get you to retreat. We're not trying to get you to prepare for your deathbed. We're trying to get you to live the life that God has intended for you. I just love the illustration of, of when, when, when the Son of Man returns. How we would be going about our business. And literally, we would have to be snatched. Literally, we'd have to be snatched. Too often, too often, we're just trying to, to limp along and to get along 
just to make it in. We have the, we have the mentality of we're, we're going we're gonna to exhaust all our resources and we're going to bounce that check to the funeral director. We're just going to barely make it in by the skin of our teeth. But God has called us to super abound. We'll talk about that. He's called us to super abound so that we would have such to benefit others. We said that death is it's, it's unnatural, meaning it's not God's intention. It's the separation or severance of something from which it belongs. Man is made up of spirit, soul, and body. And we recognize death as the unnatural, as not within God's purpose, not within God's design. The unnatural separation of the spirit and the soul from the body. Listen, your body is going to return to the dust. Your body is going to return to the dust, but your spirit and your soul, they're going to endure. And so the belief system that you've developed during this life is going to be carried into eternity. It's going to be carried into eternity. Last time in the last in the, in the few minutes that we had, we, we kind of touched on this and I want to go back to it. We mentioned, but why, why do our children, why do they sorrow without comfort? Why do we see our friends, why do they sorrow without comfort? When someone passes, why, why, can't, they, why can't they put that in its proper place and move on with the things of God? And we said it's because, it's because they refused. They refused to listen to counsel. They refused to listen to the counsel when it was given. And now there's no relief. They refused to listen to the counsel when it was given. And now there's no relief. What do you mean there's no relief? You're saying they can't go on with God? No, what I'm saying is that they still want to get daddy's approval. They still want mama's approval. They still want pastor's approval. They, they still want to get the approval of men. But those men are no longer there. They're no longer there to, to excuse your unrighteousness as if they ever did. As if they ever did. But now you can't even convince yourself because you brought the gift. Because you, you brought the smile. Because you did the, the, the good and moral acts that you are accepted of them. No, now all you have is the truth of God's word. And still... Still, you refuse to bow your heart to it. And so that, that, that's why there's no comfort. That's why there's no relief. So when we look at this, we look at, Jake, at Jacob's hope. Go to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis 46. We look at what, well, what, is, what is Jacob's hope? Now that he is in this place of peace, this place of satisfaction, this place of contentment, wherein is his hope? Is it, is it in his children? Is it in his possessions? Because now famine has struck the land. And that which he had, he's no longer able to care for. And he finds out that his son is in, is in another land. His son is in Egypt. 
And Jacob, he knows all about Israel, knows all about Egypt. Because Egypt is the place where his grandfather went and fell into sin. Egypt is the place where his daddy went and fell into sin. You know, instructions are not the same as experiences. God will instruct you to go places where you know that it didn't work out for those that have gone before. God will give you instructions. I just love the, uh, the illustration of when, when Abraham, this is Israel's grandfather, he was on the mountain and God had told him to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham, he moved with, with, with great speed and great deliberation. And he, 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 he set the wood. And he bound his only son, the son of promise, to sacrificing. But as, as, as he was ready and, and as his heart, as his son was, was, was already dead, the word of the Lord came and told him to stop. See, I know that you've heard what God said, but are you hearing what God is saying right now. Too often we get so caught up in the way that it used to be. We get so caught up in the, in the, 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 the traditions and the, and the setup that we had before that we're not even prepared that when we come back into the sanctuary and things have been moved around and the order of service has been changed, that we're, we're not, we're, we, we uh, are not prepared to go with what God is saying now. Genesis 46, verse 3, it says, And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. I just love it that, that God, when he speaks, he always identifies himself first. Whenever God is speaking, he lets you know who he is before he lets you know what he needs you to do. He lets you know who he is. Because that's the important part. Verse 3, and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt. For there will I make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hands upon thine eyes. And then it says that, that Jacob then, he rose up with great haste and, and followed the instructions of the Lord. I love it that, that God is saying that I'm going to send you to the place where historically you haven't had success, but you're going to go down there and I'm going to bring you back. You're going to go down there in hundreds and I'm going to bring you out in hundreds of thousands. I love that Jesus, he said that if you, if you destroy this temple, that in three days I'm going to raise it up again. That if, that, that if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That if you follow the word of the Lord and if you lay it down, God will raise you up. God will raise you up. And so we talked about the, the way stations and the points. And so let's talk about the instructions. 
instructions, they, they represent correction. They represent edification, building up. They represent how do you get to the end state. You know, your, your, your instructions to your family, especially the last words that you say at any point in time, they have to be a continuation of the example that you set over an extended period. They have to be a continuation of your faithfulness because from the little things, that is where your family will have confidence in the greater things. From the little things, your family will have confidence to trust in you for the greater things. You cannot expect... We're talking about financial considerations and death. You cannot expect your family to behave in a way after you're gone that they have never behaved in while you were alive. That you never instructed them or taught them to behave in. You husbands are afraid to let your wife handle money and to be responsible for, for, for the checkbook and for financials. But then you say, well, I'm going to get a bunch of life insurance and she's going to be the beneficiary of that. Now she's got whatever she's got, but she doesn't have the instruction. But she doesn't have the instruction. You parents have, have, um, have properties, you have investments, and you've never discussed these things with your children. You have things that you have planned, you never discussed them with your family. And you expect that after you're gone, that they're going to receive these, these titles, they're going to receive these certificates, and that they're going to somehow make their lives better because of it. They're going to they're going to blow it all away. Because you cannot expect your children to behave in a way differently when you're gone than what you've instructed them to in your lifetime. So let's talk about the instructions. And listen, stay with me here. Let's talk about the instructions. The first set of instructions, these are the things that you just have to accept that you have to teach your family that they're going to have to accept. And that is that they're going to have to know to love God. They're going to have to know to love God. The reason why I say you have to accept it is because God is God all by himself. There's nothing that you can do to change that. You just have to accept that. You don't have to try and understand it. You don't have to try and reason with it. You just need to accept that God is God, that He is Lord. Go to Genesis chapter 1. We see that God, that He is the Creator. Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So we know that God was in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we know that, that God was the originator. God, he is the creator. Go to John chapter 1. These are things that we begin to, to teach even, even the youngest children. That God 
is the creator. He is the author of it all. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Your children, they're going to have to know that, that, that God, that he is the originator, that he is the creator. You're going to have to teach your children that, listen, I can only go so far. I can only do so much. But God, God is the author of all things. He is the one that establishes all things, that all things were made by him. All things were made for him. Your children, they're going to have to learn that, that, he, that God has a desire. He has a desire for them in all of mankind. Jump to John chapter 11. It's where we find that Jesus, that he is the resurrection and the life to those that continue to believe. Jesus, he's talking to Martha. Just before he raises her brother back to life, he says that I am the resurrection. And the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And he says, Believest thou this? He's saying, Do you can you accept that? Can you accept that? Can you just put that in the area of these are things that are, that are just, they're, they're, they just are. I don't have to try and figure it out. I don't have to try and mechanize it. It just is. I need to accept that God is God. They're going to have to know that he has a desire for all mankind. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Christ died for us when we were strangers. He cares for us now that we are reconciled with Him. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Your children, and knowing that, 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 that they need to love God, they're going to have to know that they are complete. That they are complete in Him, lacking nothing. That they are complete in Him. Go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Starting with verse 8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Christ, in Jesus Christ, is all the fullness of the Godhead. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. That we, Our children, they're going to have to know that, that they are complete in him. You know, there's nothing like knowing that somebody has your back. That someone is looking out for you. They're going to have to know that the creator of all things, 
that He has a desire for them. That, that they are complete in Him. There are some things that your children, they're going to have to, they're going to, have to add. In loving God, they're just going to have to accept that, that God is God. But there are things that they're going to have to add to their love. They're going to have to add to their love. This is effort they're going to have to make. I remember back a long time ago, long, long time ago, a dear brother of mine introduced me to this, this, um, this, this system of weights and being not at all athletically inclined, he said, well, well here's, here's a bar. Just, just lift that and bench press that. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, and I forget. What, what, the bar is 45 pounds? The bar is 45 pounds. So I'm thinking this is a very, this is a very good workout. I'm getting stronger here. But then the brother said, no. We're going to have to add. We're going to have to add some weight. We're going to have to add some things. Because you're not getting the full benefit with just the bar. With just the love of God, you're not getting the full benefit. You're going to have to exert some additional effort. You're going to have to add in some things. One of the things they're going to have to add in, one of the things they're going to have to see in your life consistently over an extended period of time is obedience. They're going to have to add in obedience. You know, obedience is God's plan to reward your life. It opens up the avenues for the favor of God. We see in Acts chapter 9, verse 5, how the Lord is talking to Saul, whose name will be changed to Paul. And he'll go on to do great things for the Lord. But now he's not in that place yet. We're talking about how do you get from the place where you are to the place where God wants you to be. And the Lord says, Saul, Saul, it's, it's hard to kick against the pricks. It's hard to go against the instructions. It's hard to try and figure out your own way. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting with verse 22, the prophet goes to the king after the king has, has, has been disobedient, after he thought that his experience were sufficient to accomplish the will of God. And he did not follow the instructions that were given. The prophet comes up to king, the king Saul. And he says, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of ribs. They're going to have to add in obedience. You have to teach your children to add in obedience. They're also going to have to add in. They're going to have to add in discipline. They're going to have to add in discipline. Discipline is forced obedience that you apply to yourself. They're going to have to add in discipline. Discipline says that when, when I don't want to get up, when I don't want to stay up late, in order to accomplish the job that I discipline myself. That when my, when my heart and my lust and my eyes want to pull me away, discipline says that I, I, I follow the instructions 
that I don't, I don't question the instructions, I don't rationalize the instructions, but I do what God has told me to do. I discipline myself. I, I force myself. Why is it forced? Because my flesh wants to do something else. Your children are going to have to see in your life how you don't always get what you want. Daddy doesn't always get to set the rules for the house. He doesn't always get to have the big piece of chicken. He doesn't always get everything that he wants. He has to apply discipline. Sometimes you have to sacrifice the lesser for the greater. First Corinthians chapter 9, it teaches us that, that temperance, temperance, it leads to mastery. We're going to go there. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 9. Starting with verse 24, it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery, for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible So he says that, that temperance, it leads to mastery. An evenness of temper, an evenness of fervor, an evenness of passion. I don't allow my, my, my feelings, I don't allow my feelings to drive my actions. I move based on the word of God. I've applied discipline to my life. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it talks about a city. That a city that is without walls is helpless before its enemies. That a city that has not been walled in, girded in, that is helpless. He says in Proverbs 25, verse 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You're going to have to add in obedience. Put some weights on that bar. You're going to have to add in discipline. Listen, this is to get you from where you are to where God needs you to be. You're going to have to add in stewardship. Add in stewardship. Stewardship is being a wise manager over the provisions. Stewardship is being a wise manager over the provisions, stewardship brings you to the place of superabounding. Stewardship allows you to have more than just what you need for yourself. It brings you to the place where you have more than just what you need for your house. Stewardship brings you to the place where you are able to meet the needs of others. Where you're able to meet the needs of others. Too many people have a have a, have a heart to benefit, have a heart to do good, but they haven't made the preparations. They haven't applied stewardship. And so they don't have the ability. They don't have the resources. They don't have the knowledge. 
they don't have the skills that are necessary to truly be a benefit to others. In 1 Timothy, First Timothy, we'll just take our time with this. Chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? If you have not applied stewardship to your own house, how are you going to know how to take care of the church of God? In Luke chapter 16, it talks about faithfulness, that it begins with little, and that from there it builds. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. These are the things that, that, that you're going to have to demonstrate consistently in your life. Your children are going to have to learn these instructions. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. That your faithfulness begins with the little bit that you have. Your faithfulness begins with the little that you have. And as you demonstrate faithfulness, that more is given unto you. There's a saying that, that we go from faith to faith. That, that we understand God as God demonstrated his faithfulness to us in times past. That we have greater confidence and trust in his faithfulness in the future. Your children are going to need to see that in your life. They're going to need to see that you've been faithful in the little things. Can you be on time to pick them up? Can you remember the things that are necessary for them? Can you demonstrate faithfulness in the little things? So in addition to these things that you need to add to yourself, there are also other things that you're going to have to do in order to demonstrate your love for your neighbor. So you're going to have to show your love for God. You're just going to have to accept that. You're going to have to show and demonstrate your love for yourself. If you can't love yourself, how are you going to love your brother? If you can't value yourself, how are you going to value anyone else? And you're going to have to show love for your neighbor. In showing love for your neighbor, you're going to have to demonstrate mercy. Mercy, it, it forgives those that have wronged you. Mercy is reserved for and it is extended to those that are not able to repay their debts. It's, it's nothing for me to give to you and expect you to give the same back to me. Mercy says that I, I know that you took more than you needed and that you even wasted some. But I'm willing to extend mercy to you. I'm willing to extend mercy to you. Because I know that you're not able to repay these debts. In loving your neighbor, you're going to have to demonstrate gentleness. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. In demonstrating your love for your neighbor, you're going to have to demonstrate some gentleness. It says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And why, why, is this, why is this needed? Why is gentleness needed? Because in verse 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. We talked about stewardship before. You have to have prepared yourself already with gentleness. Because offenses will come. There will be those that are opposing themselves and it won't make any sense at all. You'll think, I can't understand why you would even do that. Why you would even say that. Why you would pursue that line of argument. But in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves so that God perhaps might grant them repentance. That I don't take any offense of you because I want, I want you to hear the word of God. I want you to be recovered. In loving your neighbor, in instructing our, our, our generations to love your neighbor, you're going to have to show humility. You're going to have to show humility. Proverbs 15 and 33, it talks about that before honor is humility. Humility is something that it has to be cultivated. In you. It's not, it's not just going to show up one day. But humility has to be cultivated in you. You have to be able to make yourself of no reputation. And place yourself under obedience to the authority. It has to be cultivated in you. Too often our, our, our children, they get so enamored by the praise. They get so enamored by, by the, the compliments. But it's like our pastor said that you're, you're not as, as, as good as your greatest compliment. And you're not as bad as your worst criticism. You're going to have to put on some humility. Put on humility that has to be cultivated within you. That yes, I, I can obey. Yes, I have ability, but no, my, my obedience and my abilities, that does not cause me to be exalted. That does not cause me to exalt myself above the Lord God. He gets the glory. He gets the praise. The scripture that I love for this is in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is the mindset. I call this the, the, the millionaire mindset. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 4, it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, 
he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Listen, if you're going to teach your children how to carry on before you die, they're going to have to see that, that you have died to yourself long before your final days. Your children are going to have to see that you have died to yourself and that you live to accomplish God's will long before your final days. You know, one, one way that, that Christ, that he summarized this, he says, you know, the, the instructions that I believe that everyone needs to hold on to, if you, if you can't remember to love God, if you can't remember to, to love yourself, if you can't remember to love your neighbor, if it's, if it's gotten past you about him being a creator, that his desires for, for you and all mankind, that you are complete in him, if it got past you about obedience, if it got past you about discipline and stewardship, if you didn't quite understand mercy, if you didn't quite understand gentleness and humility, he says, listen, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. He says, let's, let's keep it simple for you. Just love God with everything. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He says, application of these instructions to love God, to love yourself, to love your neighbor. Application of these instructions. It's a part of the process. It's a part of the process to move you from where you are to a place of peace. Amen, family. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.